Welcome to the AIW's The Card is Going to Change. Sponsored by the This Is Awesome Wrestling Show and Smart Mark Video. This episode, we were going to go over some of the alumni, some stars that have made their way through AIW, some stars that have come back to the wrestling scene, some old stars, and some young guys that went on to bigger and better things. So, Whoa, what's with this better thing? <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> we have John Thorne and Chandler Biggins in studio. And what the format of the show is going to be, I'm going to say a name. And the two guys are just going to just going to ramble on about them. Stories, maybe good or bad, about certain stars. Probably more bad than good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go and in, jump right into it. Man, people are going to be like, oh, man, those fucking guys are so negative. Fucking... Stop no. being so sentenced, man. We're being real. Of course, you can follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, AIWrestling.com. You can download it. You can subscribe, leave a comment, rate. Two, the card is going to change, presented by AIW. All right, first name right off the bat, Sonny. Sonny. Oh, the, the, com- the commissioner. Sonny. Um, man, oof. She, uh, she definitely was not as controversial back then as she is today. Um, so let's go back to the year 2007. 2007. I met Sonny in Philadelphia at the ECW Arena at a Pro Wrestling Unplugged show. I was there as the guest of uh, East Coast professional wrestling superstar Teddy Fine for uh, all you East Coast listeners out there. I'm sure uh, Mike versus Philly at least knows who he is. <laughs> that might be it. But uh, Words. Yeah, words. What word, up, words? Words probably definitely knows. But uh, so we somehow got uh, somehow started booking this Teddy Fine guy. And then like we would party with him and he was like, hey, come out to uh, Philadelphia. I'm wrestling at the ECW arena. You can stay with me. We'll party, whatever. There's all these fucking weird names on the show. Uh, like the nasty boys were there and they made me fucking uh, carry their bag to the car. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so like Sonny was there and uh, I like got her number because I was like, oh, hey, I'd love to book you sometime. Because like Sonny was like, you know, like that's she was a pretty big deal in the nineties and she hadn't really had that much bad publicity, you know, up until 2007, other than like the wrestling Vixen stuff. But, uh, so, and this was like in the midst of her big comeback, I think too. Yeah. Like, so like she would like text me on holidays, like happy Thanksgiving. Like we never talked. Like I was just like, you know, we exchanged numbers and like, she would always be like, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, you know, happy Easter, whatever the fuck it was. And then like, so it had to be kind of splits apart from like how we started. It's a whole nother episode. And uh, like, we're going in a new direction and we, we, we have a new partner on board and uh, he, like he sets us up with this new venue, Mulberries in the flats. That's still there today. And uh, it's before it opened though. We were the, like we were the first thing they ever had going in there for like the first year of his existence. And uh, through them, uh, you know, we, we always kind of get things before we're ready for them. And then like, kind of falls apart uh we get sponsored by Coors Light uh like straight up like you're like corporate sponsorship um Coors Light they're gonna run Coors Light specials through our events uh this is like our first event after splitting away from people you know we have this new partner on that's supposed to be like super business savvy or whatever and uh you know he lands us this deal with Coors Light like right out of the rip so we're like fuck it like let's book Sonny people want to come meet Sonny you know uh and so Coors Light gives us all this fucking money and like we book you know a 
I call back Sonny after, you know, all the Thanksgiving text messages or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, we work out this deal and, um, Coors Light, like paid, paid for the whole fucking thing. And like, she came and like, she was just like such a disgusting fucking person to be around. Uh, like she was showing, uh, pictures of her bowel movements and, and like bloody tampons and shit. Like she thought like, like it killed the fantasy it, that everybody had. Yeah. It killed any fantasy you ever had of, uh, of Sonny. So, uh, anyway, like we're like, well, what is she going to do? And like, we were like, we think we're going to have this Coors Light sponsorship. So we're like, let's make Sonny the fucking commissioner. <laughs> So, like, we never had a commissioner. We couldn't get Michael Chiklis to be the commissioner. So, so we, uh, we booked... The, what a dated reference that was, man. Sorry. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Jesus. Nobody even knows what that means. Words. Words in Mike versus Philly guarantee they know the commission. But, uh, so, anyway, you know, we make Sonny the commissioner. Uh, and at one point in the ring, it's me, her, and Steve Carino, like, in a corner. And, like... So fucking the show fucking bombs like so badly. Like, like forty people maybe. We had like forty people. Nobody. We, Chris Hero on the card. Tyler Black. Claudio Kingston. All these fucking people. Uh, Steve Carino. Fucking and like the show. Steve fucking, Carino main event versus the Duke. Yeah, whoa, barn burner. Uh, and uh, so the show fucking bombs. And then we try to book the commission Sunny for other dates. And like she starts making these kind of weird demands. Like to get like uh, different flights that were like super expensive. And I think at one point uh, for like a regular show, she was going to arrive at like eight o'clock and the show started at seven thirty or something. Yeah. So like needless to say, uh, we had a falling out with the commission and uh, I guess she still technically is the commissioner because we never fired her, but uh, she was, uh, she was the commissioner for at least a day and uh, you know, now she gets fucked in the butt on film. So good for her. Wow, that was very specific. All right, number two, Tyler Black, a.k.a. Seth Rollins. Uh, Tyler Black, he was, like, booked super early in AIW. It's simply through uh, DJZ, Zima Ion, Shima Zion. Uh, and, and at the time, I think his first show was 2005, 2006? It was either late 2005 or, like, the first show 2006. I would have to look. But, like, uh, we were running concert clubs. Like, hardcore music was, like, super fucking popular. Like, um, the club we were running was, like, a hard, like, it was a hardcore music, uh, like, club. Like, they would always have hardcore bands there. Like, fucking, you know, all, all these different bands that, that were super hot at the time. Like, fucking Barrier Dead and fucking, uh, like, Unearth and all these hardcore bands. So, like... Uh, Shima Zion, DJZ, he, like, shows me this, like, Ida Bay Mid-South DVD, um, and, uh, it's just, dude, he comes out, and he's fucking hardcore dances, and he has this cool look, and he has this cool gimmick. And he had, what, what I was bringing up about Timeline was, he had a music video at the time, and he was one of the few guys with the creation of YouTube that had a music video, and, like, I remember that music video was just killer, like you were saying about yeah, 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 like, he was, like, one of the, I don't know if he did it, or somebody did it, but, like, in like the infancy of YouTube, he he had this like awesome video package on uh, like online, and uh, DJ Z was like, "You got to book this guy. You got to book this guy. You got to." It was the guy. end of '06. Gauntlet for the goal '06 in December of that year. And uh, so, you know, we we uh, we ended up booking him, and I think he like he wrestled for us for like 
almost two straight years or something like that. 13 shows, I think. 13 or 14 shows. Like, you know, that was at a time where we weren't running every month, too. But, like, uh, you know, he was he was consistent. Like, he was, like, a, a guy in the roster. And when, you know, AIW had this split, which who knows if we'll ever get into detail on that. But um, him, uh, Corey Graves, Sterling James Keenan, and Michael Tarver, uh, Tyrone Evans – they were like the only three guys to stick with us and stick with AIW. And like everyone else went to work for this other company when we kind of split apart and like, they were kind of the only guys that had our back and like we built, you know, the, the, our new vision or whatever, uh, around guy around. And those he guys. definitely became like a backbone type of guy. And like, you know, we were booking him before ring of honor, or, you know, wrestling society X or any of that stuff. Like he was just this dude, he would drive from, Iowa to AIW back to Iowa the same day, like eight or nine hour drives. Like he would come with Shane Hollister sometimes. Uh, and like, he was just on every show and like, you know, we don't have like this, uh, this crazy, like friendship with him or whatever. Uh, you know, it was kind of like more of like a business thing. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, you know, everything he did, like he was one of the guys that kind of helped draw attention to AIW early on before we really even deserved it. Cause we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. Like there was a lot of bad, but like Tyler Black uh, was definitely one of the kind of like shining stars of the early days. Uh, crazy thing about you were saying he drove like nine, ten hours is a lot of times there were shows where all the local people would cancel because of weather. Like I know in 2007, uh, we had a show where almost the whole card no showed because of weather. Yeah, it was supposed to be a gauntlet for the gold, and that's how we started. For it was a show that like ran a couple years in a row, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, because there was a blizzard and like nobody fucking came to the show, but Tyler Black coming from Iowa in a like blizzard where there was like literally two feet of snow outside, he still fucking. So the people made it. that lived ten minutes away canceled, but the person that drove ten hours was there. It was like because uh, I mean he had that kind of mindset. Was like I'm gonna I'm, make it. I'm not fucking missing a show. This is what I want to do. And like there's a lot of guys that have that mindset, like guys like Jimmy Jacobs and stuff. Like there's no fucking way that. Jimmy Jacobs, Tyler Black, those guys were not going to miss a show no matter fucking what. But, like, dudes that, like, lived in Cleveland were like, I can't make it, man. There's a blizzard. So, like, that just kind of goes to show you, like, how determined he was to to, uh, honor his commitments and kind of make his name however he can. And, like, the quick thing I would say about Jimmy Jacobs is Jimmy Jacobs became, like, a utility player for us at one point. Like, anytime somebody no-showed or somebody couldn't make it or got hurt, he would be there, and he would just bury the person saying, I'll never cancel a booking. He's like, my leg could be hanging off. Yeah. And I would still be there. There's just, like, kind of that era of dudes, there was just, like, this, like, I'm not. Nothing could help Nothing's going to stop me. I'm a fucking professional wrestler. And look where they all are. And, you know, kind of like one of the only times we really hung out, hung out with Tyler Black, he did order heart-shaped pancakes from Denny's. That's kind of like the only the only funny story I really have. All right, let's go to Brian Danielson, a.k.a. Daniel Bryan. And we had him his last match before going to WWE, and we had him his third match after getting fired. Yeah, that's uh, Brian Danielson was 100% like uh, Colt Cabana. Because uh, we had emailed him, I don't think he ever got a response. Yeah, like Colt Cabana used to just come and like stay at my house for days. Uh, when I, like, I lived in this house in Parma, and Colt Cabana would just like be traveling through town or what? You know, this is before like podcast Colt Cabana. This is like just you know just got fired from my dream job. Yeah, just just fired WWE Colt Cabana, and like we had booked him before WWE too, but he would just like come and stay, and like 
we would always kind of like have all these ideas like uh you know we we're like hey man you should do a shoot interview but you should produce it yourself don't let anybody else make money off you so like we just sat up in my basement one day and like made a Colt Cabana shoot interview and we we're like here you go man you make all the money uh Matt Classic shoot and like we did a Matt Classic thing so like one of these not th- that they're the same person right so one of these times he's like in the basement like where we would always hang out at this house uh that I lived in uh and uh we're just like man we want fucking Brian Danielson one day and he's like Dude, well, I got this fucking crazy idea. I, I love Beyond the Mat. I want to make a, a wrestling documentary. Nobody makes cool wrestling documentaries, and I want to get like me and Brian Danielson in a car, and we're just gonna go to fucking, you know, we're, we're just gonna go to indie bookings. And like, he's like, I'm gonna set this up, like, and I'm gonna make this happen for you guys. So you know, you just think it's like one of those things. You know what I mean? And he had to even talk to us like. Do you guys know anybody running Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or? Yeah. So like he finally irons out this wrestling road diaries thing. And then he's just like, Hey, I need you guys to have a show on a Thursday night on whatever the date was. And we're like, fuck, like how do you have a show on a Thursday night? You know, he's like, you will get Brian Danielson, myself and Sal Renaro. It was September 2009. I don't remember the date. for, 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 For virtually nothing. Uh, and we're like, fuck. This I think it was a hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, like we paid him like a hundred bucks. Wow, uh, which is ridiculous. But uh, so Drew Cordero from Beyond Wrestling, he was kind of like, almost like an intern at the time for AW. He was always helping us out, trying to do these deals. He was just living out here, and this is like before Beyond Wrestling existed. And like he worked at this place, the Ghostly Manor, but they had another promotion running there. And like Drew Cordero kind of worked this deal out for us to have this show in Sandusky, Ohio at the Ghostly Manor. Uh, and it was just like, we're going to have Brian Danielson and Cole Cabana and we're going to fill it out with AIW guys. And, uh, you know, we did Brian Danielson versus Johnny Gargano. That's really Johnny Gargano's first real big, big time match. This is before Gargano was working for, you know, Evolve or Gabe or any of this stuff. Or he was with them, but he was like the opening card dark match. Yeah, he's just like a, like a local guy still at this point almost. Uh, so... You know, that's kind of the story on that. And then, you know, he had one more show, which is for Ring of Honor. We had his last, like, non-Ring of Honor show. And then uh, when he got fired, we were trying to get him for Absolution 5 two weeks out. And I was texting him and calling him. And uh, he didn't respond. Because Chakar had announced him, I think, right? No, nobody had announced him. And uh, I knew that uh, when the WWE calls you, they call you private. So, uh I star 67 my phone at like, and I called him after he'd been ignoring all my, you know, all my contact. I called him from a private number. He answers on the first ring. This is literally like days after he got fired. And like, I'm kind of a piece of shit, but I'm thinking he's going to think WWE's calling him. I'm going to at least get him on the phone. And, uh, so he answers and, you know, I present, you know, the date to him and all this stuff. And he's just like, um, uh, like he's confused, you know what I mean? Cause it's just an indie booking and like, uh, he finally agrees to it. So we booked him with like two weeks notice. Um, and there was like a ring of honor show, like two days later in Buffalo and myself and drew Cordero, like made some shitty Kinko's flyers. And like, we drove to Buffalo Colt Cabana got us on the ring of honor guest list. And like, we flyered for AIW in Buffalo. Like, Hey, Br- Brian Danielson's first match back from the Indies. 
you know, then within that two weeks, like Chikara announced some things like that. So we actually ended up being his third match. But like, we fucking drew so many people from out of town by going and flying that Ring of Honor show. And we still have people that come from. And that like, flyer. we retained like a ton of people from Buffalo, like a fan base, uh, based off of that. So that's kind of that story, kind of condensed. Uh, Brian Danielson, though, cool, one of the coolest dudes we ever booked. Uh, somehow, I don't even remember how I got the task, but somehow, since I was already going to Chikara in Detroit, Quackenbush had asked me to be his handler, and I'm like, absolutely. So I spent the entire weekend with him, ate Panera Bread with him, his favorite restaurant. Uh, couldn't be a nicer dude. Probably has no idea who I am right now. Yeah, not a fucking. He probably doesn't remember AIW at all. But like, you know, and we, like in his book, he mentions both matches, which I thought was crazy. But he refers to them as Cleveland. Yeah. So I mean, whatever. But you know, we had Brian Danson, and like it helped us. Like it, it helped kind of legitimize us a lot in a time where we were like, you know, still kind of like AIW fucking sucked. I'm not even gonna lie. And it's so crazy how humble he was because I'm like, dude, you're the hottest thing right now. You're he the didn't best. Re- me. You're the best wrestler in the world, and he fucking he was just a dude, man. Uh, so you know, and that, like uh, cool. the first night at Chikara in Michigan, he was going out to sell his like gimmicks after the show, and he's like, oh man, if I sell like four or five, I'll be happy. Sells out of everything immediately. Yeah. So I mean, he's just a humble dude. Uh, so it, it was you know we only booked him twice, but it was fucking awesome both times. And like to see his success, it was awesome. All right, next one on the list. This is a random one. Sammy Callahan. Oh God, uh, I, I would just, like he was just a dude that would come and like wrestle for free because uh, he lived in Ohio. And because uh, uh, when we had the split in 2007, he was a guy that like he's like, oh, I love wrestling. I live in Ohio. Book me. He was just like a guy that was kind of like he would do anything to like make his name. It's before he was like anybody, and he would just he would just come and like you know. Like I'll wrestle if you pay me for graphic design, or I'll design your DVD covers, or things like that. And then as like I, you know, I'm not gonna go into all the details, but as he kind of got some more success, he got a big head, and then he starts kind of like turning into this kind of like piece of shit. Uh, and you know, it's just uh, it's just a guy that you know we we kind of went our we we went our separate ways. I'll say. Um, and I think we are better off for it. Like, I know he's a guy that everybody wants to know the dirt and uh, why we won't book him. And, like, it would take hours and hours to explain why we won't book him. But just, you know, nutshell, he's not a good person. Yeah. And, like, you know, some people, you know, like, some people may think he is and he may have, you know, good, rep- like, reputations with the people. Our business dealings just, uh, they, they were. He did his dirty. Yeah. They just weren't meant. You know, it just wasn't meant to be, and, you know, that's fine. And, like, you know, a lot of people could look past some things, but I just don't want to book and pay a guy that's just not a good person. All right, how about John Moxley, a.k.a. Dean Ambrose? Oh, man, that's, like... I think I, we only had him twice. Yeah, so, like, uh, Haley Hatred was, like, begging us to book him, probably because she had a crush on him or something, I don't know. But, uh, so, like, we booked... John Moxley, who's like, you know, this just random Ohio guy at the time, pretty unknown dude. He really didn't even have that much buzz or anything. Not doing anything. And uh, we used to do shows at actually like right across the street from here. We used to do shows at uh, the Avenue Tap House when it was put in Bay Lakewood. And like they would like give us like a couple hundred bucks to do a show like on a Monday night. Uh, and then like Monday night football would play or something after we were done. And uh, like 
we booked John Moxley on like a Thursday before like a Thursday night Browns game. They would have like AIW be like the lead in for like the big Browns game to get like a big crowd in there. And like, I like we booked him for like 40 bucks against this dude, Jason Gorey. And like, uh, it was just that, that was, that was really it. (laughs) And like, uh, Moxley was so like, he was so nervous about being around new people. I think like he got dressed outside of the locker room. Cause like the locker room was like a, like, I don't know if he's nervous or if he's just like, kind of like, a different type of person. You know yeah, I mean? he, it was like a tarped off section of a bowling alley. He's just like a different kind of dude. Uh, and then we booked him like we booked him one other time at Absolution Four, and uh, like a tag match. And then we had tried booking him more consistently, and like it just didn't work out. And then you know that that's how a lot of things go. Is like you you start booking these people, and you get these ideas, and you're trying to give them more dates, and they're just you know uh, he started getting real busy real fast, and uh, you know. It, He's just all over the world. Or like uh, if we have like an idea for like four shows, but he's only available for two of them or something. Right. So, I mean, we only booked him two times. I mean, not uh, not no groundbreaking uh, relationship. Another guy, I think, would probably have no idea who we were. Yeah. Maybe he would know. Maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. But, uh, you know, like we definitely weren't any big uh, impact on his career whatsoever. How about Rob Conway? Oh, the con man. Oh, man. That was look at me. (laughs) <laughs> that was honestly booked at Absolution Three as like uh, a five hundred dollar joke. Like yeah, we knew nobody was gonna fucking care. No disrespect to Rob. Five hundred dollars is a lot. When uh, we told the story last week about how there was no doorman. Yeah, it was like we literally just wanted to hear that entrance music. Uh, that was one hundred percent why he was booked. Uh, we, and Tolar had trained with him, so Mike yeah, Tolar. Like Mike Tolar, like we had them do a tag match. Who was like a guy who was kind of on the cusp of getting, like, WWE deal. He was, like, uh, from Cleveland, and he was, like, down at OVW, and then he kind of moved back to Cleveland to do the he Indies. He was uh, Dolph Ziggler's best friend. Yeah, and uh, so he had knew Rob Conway, and they had a relationship. Uh, but, like, we kind of knew that, like, people weren't going to necessarily, like, you know, Rob Conway wasn't going to draw, draw us 500 people. But, like, we thought it was, like, that was kind of our first dabbling into, like, let's do something totally weird and outside of the box. And people went crazy for it. It just it wasn't a drawing. Yeah, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like a, uh, this is going to make you guys a ton of money. But, like, it was one of those weird things, like, Rob Conway. And, like, we honestly, no bullshit, only did it to play that Just Look At Me theme song. That's all. That's it. Like, that's, that, that's the whole reason why we did it. And the man has multiple Air Jordan jumpsuits. Every day he had a different Air Jordan jumpsuit. Yeah, he was here for like three days. He just had fucking Michael Jordan like full jumpsuits on. It was awesome. All right, next one on my uh, random list. How about the franchise, Shane Douglas? Uh, that's just probably like uh, our like ECW Mark-isms. But like, there's kind of a story that leads to that. So the same partner that uh, he he like uh, left the door at Absolution... Uh, Two or whatever it was. Three. Three. He came back though. Uh he came he, he came back uh and uh he was just like, Hey, you know, fiftieth show. Uh he was a police officer. Uh and he had all these relationships with all these different places. Uh so, you know, fiftieth show, he's like, Hey, let's go back to Peabody's. That's you know, that's where we started. He had been doing some work with them, uh, you know, says he he's got he got us a sweet deal and he's like, Hey, I wanna pay for a name to be on the show. Um and you know I want to wrestle him as well. Uh, so that's how it usually works. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, 
we work out this deal. We think at fiftieth show we've made it fifty shows. Uh, you know, let's go back to the place where we had the first. You know, probably ten or fifteen shows. Cool little story. Uh, Shane Douglas is like, you know, uh, love him or hate him. You know, he's kind of like a, a revolutionary figure. Like we thought it was kind of like a cool little like, uh, you know, nod or whatever that like, you know, we've kind of. Uh, you know, we kind of paved their own way, similar to like how Shane Douglas paved his own way through the wrestling industry. Uh, this would be a cool guy to get a promo, get on a show, talk about how we've lasted 50 shows when we probably shouldn't even have lasted five, uh, or even one for that matter. Uh, so day of, uh, the partner that had quit at Absolution 3 and since came back, uh, set up this deal, was supposed to pay for Shane Douglas. Uh, he shows up and he's at my house early in the morning. He says, Hey, man, uh, can't really go into details. But uh, I have to quit this company. Um, here's a hundred dollars towards the Shane Douglas fee um, and a post dated check and a post dated check for next week. Uh, good luck tonight. And uh, you know that's pretty much the Shane Douglas story. And that was probably that ended up being probably the worst experience of our life. Not Shane Douglas's fault, but the venue kind of fucked us over. Uh, so so the venue was collecting like the front door. And we were still kind of naive at the time, you know, because we did our own thing. And we kept going to the I kept going to the door and the management and saying, I got to get, you know, the money. I got to pay these guys. I got to get the money. I got to pay these guys. So right before the main event, they hand me an envelope and inside is sixty seven dollars to pay a whole show's worth of talent. Um, you know, when this guy who set up this deal, who was supposed to be 100 percent everything for free. Uh, they just wanted to keep the alcohol sales and, you know, we kept the door and I mean, we probably had like a hundred people there or something. Uh, it turned out that there was all these hidden fees that they had told him, but he didn't tell us. So it was like, we had to pay for the bartenders, the light guy, the sound guy, the security, like we had, we had to pay for all this stuff. So they go through and they take all the Which money. We would have never ran there. We would have never ran there if we would have known all this stuff, but they didn't inform us. And, uh, they go through and they take the money and, uh, you know, they pay all these other people, then they give us 67 bucks to divvy up between Shane Douglas, Corey Graves, Drake Younger, all, like a whole show worth of, pe- worth of people. Like that almost for sure killed us. Like that was the probably like the last time where we lost like tons of money. Uh, but like thankfully, like people were, you know, they were understanding and they let us pay him at a later date and stuff like that because it was just something that was out of our hands. And uh, I like, was actually wrestling in the last match and like i we fucking like tried our hardest to like just break everything in the place uh allegedly all right how about a final one to uh wrap this volume one because we can go on for oh, we multiple can do this. shows yeah, we can do this for days this and i'm be sure a season yeah i'm sure there's gonna be a volume two three four five how about sarah del rey oh the best oh she's the best um you know sarah del rey was just you know she is was probably you know still is like the best female professional wrestler in the world um she's just someone we had just kind of known or met through you know different people well we had booked claudio over the years and her and claudio are together and was that public knowledge oh yeah you're fucking exposing things i don't know well allegedly (laughs) uh so like i wish people could see how red his face is right now (laughs) So, like, uh, you know, Claudia over the years had put us over, and uh, we did a lot of stuff with Bryce Remsburg, so it was only a natural fit that she would come along eventually. And, like, um, we were kind of building the Girls' Night Out brand around Haley Hatred, 
And uh, we were like, who do you want to wrestle? And she was like, Sarah Del Rey. So Girls Night Out 2 was uh, the first time we ever booked Sarah Del Rey. Uh, super, like, easy to deal with. Like, super cool. Like, she's, like, probably one of the most level-headed people we've ever had to book in, like, ever. Um, and, like, you know, she would just, you know, she became, a, after Girls Night Out 2, she became a staple up until, uh, you know, she, she, she left for WWE. And, like, she was always awesome to deal with, like always like a, you know, always reliable. Uh, and always like, you know, like for somebody at her level uh, at the time where, you know, she was kind of the bar when it came to women's wrestling, especially in the independence in North America. Uh, you, like you would, ne- you would never know it by dealing with her. Like no ego, no anything like, you know, there's no like, crazy like Sarah Del Rey story it's just like uh she was just a like a consummate professional um and like you know she was just always somebody that would come and like we knew would have a fucking awesome match with whoever we put her in with we put her in some real weird situations like we put her in with like a very 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 new and young Veda Scott uh you know we put her in there with people like Angel Dust um and you know she went she made these people look like a million bucks Um, And and never 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 complained once and, like, a big thing about Sarah Delroy was a lot of people take over, like, locker rooms, like, in a malicious way. She kind of stepped up as a locker room leader without us even asking. But it was totally, like, to the benefit of AIW. It wasn't like, I'm on this power trip. Yeah, and it was just like, you know, especially with running uh, women's shows very early on, we were very naive to how it worked. And, like, how, like you know, not even to sound weird, but, like, how to even, like, communicate with these girls. Because, like, you know, like, uh, it's... It, it, like it, it's kind of a weird dynamic, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's like I can't go into the locker room to tell somebody something's gonna change because like they're changing, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like I can't just like walk in and like you know there's just a bunch of naked girls around, so like it's a very awkward thing. And like Sarah Del Rey like assumed that position, like hey, tell me what I gotta go tell everyone to do. I'm gonna go, you know, make sure everyone knows, make sure everyone's on the same pace. To where like up until Sarah Del Rey got signed, we literally had to do nothing at girls night outs except for say like, Hey Sarah, here's the card. This is what we want. And then she would go and like, cause we figured it all even, out for us. And we like, would even say to people like, Oh, do you know what you're doing? Oh yeah. Sarah told me. Yeah. So like, it was awesome. And like when she left, it was like, Oh shit. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like, what do we do now? Like, yeah. cause she was, she like voluntarily just assumed like that role like of the like the mother role. Yeah. Like, yeah, like running that locker room and like talking to like because you know we're using Sarah Del Rey, but like the rest of the locker room was super like super young. Like you know we're using girls like Veda Scott, like Mia Yim, all like very very early in their careers. So like Sarah is just like going through and just like getting them all in order and like kind of like setting the precedent of like hey this is how you're supposed to be. Um, and you know it was awesome. Uh, so yeah, nothing but good things to Real say. Real quick though, uh, Sarah Delray almost did fight somebody at Harpo's once because she brought her own salad and they were mad at her. <laughs> oh yeah, during, during <laughs> I've never seen a, I've never seen her mad. She was ready to fist fight some waiter Dur- during the during the Royal Rumble. Uh, yeah, like we were watching the Royal Rumble and uh, like she brought like her own salad in from like Giant Eagle. You know, she just got a salad because she yeah. wanted to eat healthy. You know, we're at this fucking bar watching the Royal Rumble, man. This fucking waiter was so pissed at her and like for bringing her own salad in, and she about lost it on him. I thought she was just gonna fucking capo kick him right through the fucking wall. Uh, but other than I that, I don't even think she bought it at Johnny. I think it's something she brought. Yeah, like, but uh, you know, we were able to like travel with her. We were one. We were like her last weekend uh, on the Indies, 
and uh, we got to you know we got to travel with her. And, like uh, she came and did AIW and then Remix Pro, and she rode with us. So we got to spend like you know four hours in the car with her, and like uh, you know she's just like super down to earth. Like you know I haven't kept in contact with her or whatever, but like uh, I'm sure you know nothing has really changed. Um, you know, she's, she would remember us. Yeah, she she would definitely remember us, and she would definitely remember David the Potato, who had a weird crush on her and would always bring her uh, Starbucks coffee and got heat with his girlfriend once because he drove her so <laughs> oh, much. Yeah, one time his girlfriend dumped him because she said you spend like too much time with Sarah Del Rey buying her coffee. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that's really that's really it. We could probably do this word association thing for fucking ever. Volume one of uh, AIW alumni. Uh, I'm sure we're you're gonna do two, three, four, five of these little shows inside I, a show. I hope people I hope people uh, find this interesting. I, I uh, like this this podcast and this whole kind of premise because uh, I don't know, man. Maybe people don't care. Maybe they do, but like I really, if I was a fan, I think this would be at least interesting to hear how uh, promoters kind of talk because the the reality of what probably people think happens and what really happens is probably so different yeah but uh yeah please uh send me your feedback at, at john thorny iw on twitter i'm really interested to know what you think of this podcast and if you have any alumni that you guys you want the guys to uh, talk about you guys can tweet at the guys and also uh, ai wrestling on twitter facebook we're gonna have these episodes sporadically throughout uh, the, the session so we will be talking about other aiw alumni all right, make sure to go on Stitcher. Make sure to go on iTunes, Lipson, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Rate the show. Download the show each and every week. Go to AIWrestling.com for merch, for events, for results. Anything you want to, you want to check out for AI Wrestling, that's the website, AIWrestling.com. Any final thoughts, boys? Uh, no, just thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.